Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular passage is very well known. It's very reflective of the very nature and character of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this is, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48 where Jesus instructs and commands us to love our enemies. And this may be one of the most challenging things Christ put before us um, as believers and Christians, because as people, especially here in Western culture, in, um, you know, this Western Christianity, whatever you want to call it, we're very individualistic. We, um... You know, we have our circles, we have our groups, but, you know, also we have a lot of pride, we have a lot of ego, we have a lot of, you know, um, sometimes we have tastes of success that give us some lofty opinions of ourselves, and um, frankly, when we come across adversity or adversaries in life, It's sort of our natural inclination. I would say this is a global level that, um, you know, when we have a problem or dispute with someone, um, and I can say that because violence is a global issue and it's a global, um, you know, thing that is definitely practiced um, (laughs) instead of loving our enemies and treating our neighbors as we want to be treated. We tend to uh, or people tend to. have vengeance and, um, you know, uh, payback, if you will, um, you know, whatever it might be, whatever you want to call it. But we are called as Christians to be the exact opposite of that. And it is absolutely essential that we apply this because as we're going to look at Jesus himself exemplified this perfectly, like he did everything. He was the perfect leader by example, and you could not ask for any better leadership than that type right there, because it is without hypocrisy. It is, you can follow that leadership regardless of where or what they tell you to do, as long as it's righteous, of course. Um, And, you know, again, I could not ask for anything more or any better Lord and Savior than Jesus Christ himself. There's a reason why um, he came to this earth. There's a reason why he exemplified all of these traits. And there's a reason why in this specific sermon, again, one of the greatest, actually, let me not say one of, the greatest sermon ever preached Um, He lays out a lot of challenges to us as people, but he, again, he exemplified the character of God perfectly because he is God. He was God on earth and he is the living Lord and Savior right now at the right hand of the Father awaiting that signal to come again. And right now we eagerly look towards the skies in anticipation of that um, that amazing, amazing event. 
I do believe before the second coming of Christ occurs, I believe the church will be called up in the rapture. Uh, we will look at that someday, but I do believe on a prophetic timeline. If you do some true eschatology and study the end times, you will see that um, I do believe that, again, the church will be called up. So amazing as it is, we will actually be with Christ upon his return. And um, all I can say is God help those that are still here on this earth, still shaking their fist at God, because when Christ bursts through those clouds and he is witnessed on a global level with his saints returning to finally judge this world for all the evil and wickedness that occurs on a daily basis and also finally just takes that demonic entity known as Satan, our adversary, and judges him and puts him into that bottomless pit. It is going to be an immaculate time to be alive, to be in existence, I should say, in one form or another, and then to be part of um, the kingdom of God and on the right side of eternity. Forget about your bogus right side of history claims because this history is going to be wiped away someday. Thank God. I just look forward to those times. And um, I just noticed that this is actually going to conclude Matthew chapter 5. So we have two more chapters to go as we take this detailed look at the Sermon on the Mount. Again, preached by the greatest teacher, the greatest leader, the greatest example we could ever ask for. That is the Son of God, the one and only living God, the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And um, without any further ado, let's take a look at Jesus' command to love our enemies. Alrighty, and like I said, we are going to begin. We're going to read our um, text. We're going to read the passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, and we will go from there. So it says, and this is, of course, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. All right, so let's look at First, the notes for, again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, starting at the note for verse 43. The Old Testament precept of love is found in Leviticus 19.18, but hatred of one's enemies was a Pharisaic addition. Love is not a matter of sentiment alone, but practical concern Blessing, prayer, and positive wishes for well-being 
extended to friend and enemy alike. Just as God indiscriminately sends rain and sunshine upon the just and unjust alike, so Jesus' disciples must be indiscriminate in their extension of love to friend and enemy. The emphasis in the command to be perfect is not on a flawless moral nature, but on all-inclusive love that seeks the good of all. Instead of following the example of sinners who love only those who love them, we are to be like the Father in also loving those who do not love us. Just an incredible commentary right there. I mean, really, I could stop there. Just that pretty much sums up the exact thought and the exact action that Jesus was speaking of and conveying to us. I especially love that last line where it says, we are to be like the Father in also loving those who do not love us. So again, when Jesus came and died for the sins of the world, that was the Father extending his love to anyone who will accept him. And um, that's very powerful when you think of God's patience, his um, ability to, again, accept us as we are. You know, we are not perfect. As you can see, that word perfect there, again, is not speaking to us to be or calling us to be a image of perfection because we are not that. We never will be that ever. But Again, the idea is to be perfect, in uh, not in a flawless moral nature, but on an all-inclusive love that seeks the good of all. And when you really get this concept in your heart, and of course pray, ask the Lord to give you this heart, then you really can grasp and um, pretty much uh, live out such a peaceful life, you know, again, I can think back to a few studies ago where we are called to enact peace in all of our relationships and approach all of our relationships with a peaceful nature, if you will. Um, and, you know, believe me, I know this is a challenge and I know this is something that we need to really seek God in order to be able to live this out. But don't make anything too hard in the kingdom and with the Lord, because it's simply a matter of asking and you shall receive. So let's look here at the note, um, actually at this kingdom dynamic section again in my Spirit-Filled Life New King James Version Bible, addressing Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Love those who have anim animosity toward you, brotherly love. The word enemy does not suit any limited convenient meaning as though merely referring to those whom we may not particularly like. The command to love our enemies means much more than simply changing our feelings about people with whom we do not get along. Rather, enemy, Greek, ekthros, means adversary or foe and refers to those whose actions and words manifest hatred for you, the in-law who will not speak to you, the associate who tried to get you fired. We are called to love those 
filled with animosity towards us. Jesus leaves no room for speculation in this passage, commanding love for those who hate, despise, and persecute us. Such love is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ, who himself loved in that way and now seeks vessels through whom to love again the hate-filled who assail him as they oppose you. So that is a great commentary, great note there, and a great thing to keep in mind, too, and great perspective to have. Remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood, and those who come against you, they're not coming against you personally. They're coming against who lives inside of us, who is the living God, Jesus Christ, who, you know, again, they hated him to the point of killing him and crucifying him. So don't be surprised when you take true stands for God and you truly stand up for the Lord in a good, godly way. Again, we're not talking about coming and being rude and obnoxious towards people at all in the least bit. But what we are talking about is when you take a stand for Christ and somebody stands up against you, you are not to repay that evil with evil. But the difference between us and the rest of the world is we repay evil with good, evil with love, hatred with love. That's a very unique trait and quality. Again, that's only possible through Jesus Christ. But when you realize that people are coming against you, not personally necessarily because of who you are, but because who you represent. And when you have that perspective and understanding, it can totally change your perspective and view on an entire situation and on an entire season in your life. So remember, God, Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. So just because we may be going through some persecution or some hatred or some anger at a moment does not mean, one, it's going to last forever. And two, regardless of the outcome, remember, Righteous persecution is what we are called to, and it's that simple. Again, not obnoxiousness, not walking around thinking because you have a certain political affiliation that you're being persecuted, you know, indirectly in the name of Jesus, because I hate to break the news to you, but God's not, Jesus is not qualifying this with anything except righteous persecution for taking stands for him in righteousness rooted in the word of God. So, all right, we're going to flip forward real fast, addressing this section in particular. We are going to look at the um, truth and action section again at the end of Luke. We're going to look at section five here where um, we've looked at this here and there, but it's very relevant to what we're talking about. And um, let's just look at it here. Steps in developing humility, because obviously humility is a great, great trait to both have and a very important trait to possess in order to be able to, again, love your enemies as they hate and persecute you. So Jesus has a great deal to say about humility. And no wonder, since it was pride that first caused man's downfall. We did cover this section in the last um uh, episode as well. But again, it's very relevant, very closely tied when, you know, we're talking about 
humility going the second mile previously now we're talking about loving your enemies they all these are all the characteristics of christ so it's there's nothing wrong with revisiting some things here and there so as the new adam jesus exemplified this aspect of righteous living man fell because he presumed his own way above god's but restored godliness requires that man do the opposite and humble himself before god's will and way then true god-given exaltation and recognition will come to those who least expect it and who least seek it. And then quickly, the note here says, addressing particular uh, this particular section of Matthew, again, chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, love by choice, not by circumstance. Let mistreatment by others remind you to overcome their evil through love. So again, it's important that we keep things in perspective and stay focused on the, um, you know, the ultimate prize, the ultimate end game, if you will. And that is Jesus Christ at the finish line. You know, um, when you start to look to the side, when you start to take your focus and eyes off of Jesus, it's amazing how quick things can get blurred and you can be taken you know, out of perspective and start living in the flesh. And all of a sudden you're living in some dark times that you had no idea were coming. But again, that's why it's important to always keep your guard up and to always be on the offense when it comes to spiritual warfare. So we're going to flip back now to that um, section in note uh, for one of the sec one of the verses mentioned Leviticus nineteen eighteen, and we are actually going to read that verse in particular real fast because I love flipping back. You know, I'll be honest, Leviticus is a book that sometimes people blanch at it because of some of the things contained within Leviticus. Because frankly, in our fallen dark world, it's hard to understand and comprehend some of the attitudes and some of the commandments that God gives in this particular book. But we must remember that this is God's character. This is God's nature. And um, who are we to question him? We are no one, nothing. We are dust and we are dirt. So take your pride, take it out of your, your, your wheelhouse, if you will, and yield to the full character of God. And look, <laughs> this has been quoted throughout the New Testament, people quote it to this day, but they might be surprised to read Leviticus 19:18 where it says, "You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." That note says, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." The word love, Hebrew, ahav, could be misunderstood as esteem. Love of one's neighbor begins with self-esteem. Then one esteems his neighbor. This general rule summarizes and fulfills the other commandments. The Jewish sages Halil and Akava taught that within this law is contained all the other laws of the scriptures. Paul quotes the verse in a similar fashion, see Romans 13.8 and Galatians 5.14. When Jesus cites the golden rule, which emphasizes positive action to assist others in need, he explains that this is the law 
and the prophets. So this is typically called the golden rule, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. <laughs> a lot of people say it, but, you know, to live it is a whole different reality, a whole different world. And again, that is exactly what we are called to not only try to do, but to do, to exemplify. Remember, we are called to be reflections of Jesus Christ himself, all aspects of his character. You cannot call yourself a Christian and walk around full of pride, puffed up, bitter, unforgiving, they are all the traits of those that are not Christians, those that will be left out of the kingdom of God. So you might want to really read the word, pray, ask God to soften your heart, pray that God allows you to have a heart of forgiveness, to release bitterness from whatever past experiences you may have had. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I promise you walking around and living with a heart of humility and with true love for everyone, even your enemies, is such a more rewarding, stress-free existence than walking around holding on to bitterness, anger, hatred from past experiences, from past um, people in your life or people that are still in your life. I'd highly encourage you to work on those relationships that may be contentious. And, um, you know, again, true forgiveness is not just saying you're forgiven. True forgiveness is an act of forgiveness, and it encompasses a lot more than just words. So let's look again at our ultimate example of forgiveness and loving your enemies where Christ is literally hanging on a cross and is about to finally die on the cross. We're going to flip up to Luke chapter 23. We're going to read verse 34 where it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The note here for that verse says, Victims were stripped naked and their clothing was given to the crucifixion detail. So, again, as Jesus is up there hanging on the cross, the almighty mighty creator, one-third of the Trinity, Elohim, when he is up there being killed by his creation, he is asking the Father to forgive the very people that are committing the act of murder and who tortured him and have him hanging up on a cross? Is Christ up there cursing? Is he angry? Absolutely not. He is asking the Father to forgive them, for they know not what they do. What better example could you ask for than that right there? And I don't laugh at any way in what I'm talking about this in reference to the subject, because that act right there is the most selfless act anyone could ever do is giving their life for their friend or friends or for the world as Jesus did. Again, Jesus was here. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was a completely innocent man who was killed because 
he was accused of being a blasphemer. But the the sad reality is that the very people that accused him simply were blinded spiritually by their own pride, by their own religious beliefs, that they were too prideful and arrogant to even see that the Messiah that they still seek to this day was right there before them. So, all right, we're going to flip up now to Acts chapter 7, verse 60, with another great example of this attitude that Christ commands us to have, where the martyr Stephen is being killed and stoned. And let's read the verse. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We're going to look at the note for that particular section. Stephen's prayer is reminiscent of that of Jesus at his crucifixion. So again, we have Stephen here, the martyr, at the, the actual sub, the, the heading for this particular uh, passage in my Bible says Stephen the martyr for good reason, because um, Stephen was martyred and hated because, again, he was representing Christ. He was preaching the gospel and they turned around and killed him because he would not submit. He would not yield, but he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is what he knew and that is all he knew how to do righteously and rightfully so. All right. So we're going to flip up now to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 21 to 25, where it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So let's look at the notes here for that section in particular. Again, we're looking at First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, where it says, In verse 21, Christ is our example. Here, he is our Redeemer. Christ's vicarious death makes possible our response of death to sins, repentance, and life for God, righteousness. This is New Testament Christian conversion in its broadest application, which Peter describes when he says, by whose stripes you were healed. Peter's intent in quoting Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 is to show that personal wholeness, mental, psychological, physical, and spiritual flows from this conversion. 
So, and quickly, we're going to look here at that word example. It is the word hupogromeos, hupogromemos, excuse me, from hupo, under, and grapho, to write, hence in underwriting. The word referred to tracing letters, copying the writings of the teacher. Then it came to denote an example to be followed. The example of Christ enables us to endure when we suffer for our faith. So again, as you can see, this is all going hand in hand, but Christ being our example, who again committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, was reviled, but did not revile in return. He suffered, but did not threaten, and then committed himself to him who judges righteously. When he gave himself up to the Father, when he was finally at the end of his crucifixion and suffering on the Christ, on the cross, excuse me. It's just an amazing, again, um, picture and an amazing example that we are called to not return evil with evil, but return evil with good, return hatred with love. And I love that last verse, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So again, I just love the idea of Jesus being the shepherd, you know, the um, the good father, the um, perfect example. And then also just um, being the the one who calls us to him. You know, we can't take any credit for salvation ever because all of the work was done by Christ. It's a free gift, as is the grace of God, as is his forgiveness. So that automatically disqualifies any pride, any ego, any puffed up attitudes that anyone can walk around with if they call themselves a Christian you cannot walk around looking your looking down upon anyone you know you cannot walk around within with again if you're calling yourself a christian you cannot walk around egotistical with pride or puffed up it's a very big red flag i would call it <laughs> to anyone who um again may be dealing with people who you know, they're basically calling themselves a Christian, but then acting or not exactly exemplifying what we see here in the word laid out before us as our example, Jesus Christ lays out and the apostles lay out throughout the New Testament. So we're going to actually flip forward to the truth in action section in First Peter. Again, this section is just it's in my spirit filled life, New King James Version Bible. Where, um, you know, they just kind of take the thoughts that are um, outlined and conveyed in the chapters and in the books of the Bible, and then kind of just give them an, a modern kind of feel and not interpretation, but just more of a um, just understanding in a more modern sense. So we're going to look at section one here at the Truth in Action, where it says guidelines for growing in godliness. Godliness invites others to ask why we have so much hope. Godly living involves suffering. We know this because Jesus suffered as our example. The godly person returns good for evil. When insulted, 
he blesses. And when caused to suffer, he never threatens in return. So then we'll look at the, that's the truth section. And then the action section here from what Peter teaches to Peter invites. Live so unbelievers will give God glory because your life is righteous. Recognize that Jesus suffered as our example. Know that you must suffer also. Refuse to retaliate against any who attack you. Never threaten those who cause you suffering. Always bless those who insult you. Always be prepared to explain the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Practice hospitality. So quickly, I want to address something that happened a little while ago, and this would be the um, the riot at the Capitol building by some right-wing people that bought into a lot of conspiracy theories, and then their little bubbles were burst when their little savior, Donald Trump, didn't win his re-election. Um, there were a lot of people there cl- claiming to be Christians, a lot of people there claiming, um, you know, uh, that they were doing some sort of work for God or on his behalf. Um, you were not. They were not. They were not representative of Jesus. They were not representatives of Christ. They were taking their own prideful ways. They were taking their own anger and humiliation, their own suffered defeat And they were acting out in a way that is nowhere near what we are called to do as Christians. None of that exemplifies our Lord, our Savior. We are not called to take up arms and go storm any type of buildings. We are not called to do anything of that nature whatsoever. So please do not confuse those lost souls who, (laughs) trust me, there are plenty of people walking around this world right now calling themselves a certain title. The most offensive thing I find is when people call themselves Christians yet do not exemplify Christ in one iota, in one tittle, in one jot of his character. Be it right-wingers, be it far-left liberals, I don't care what you call yourself, do not bring Christ into your, <laughs> let me quit. Let me catch my own tongue here before I really start to go off, but leave Jesus out of your political debates, okay? You want to take, cro- take up a flag, you want to go stand on a hill and die on it, go for it. Leave Jesus out of it because you're all lost souls. The same way the race riots in the summer caused over $2 billion in damage, and somehow that's supposed to be justified, it it is as unjustifiable as the ridiculous riots that occurred in early January because a bunch of right-wingers, a bunch of lost souls, again, a bunch of conspiracy theorists sat and had nowhere else to turn except to try to run to the Capitol building and cause some sort of disruption, you know, well, you're going to be sitting in jail for the next five to 10 years, probably for your little role in that ridiculous um, uh, riot. And there were people killed during that time, injured. There were people fleeing for their lives. And, um, 
you're, you know, none of that should have been done or claimed to be in the name of God. Leave him out of your political garbage, you prideful, individualistic people, okay? So that's my spiel on that. I'll leave it there. And um, that's going to conclude part one of our look at loving your enemies. So God bless and have a great day.